0: lord with you it's good to have you on a wednesday night and again like i said earlier you could be doing anything else but you're here in the house of the lord you're watching online you may be watching in the future uh you're using your time wisely and i pray that the lord would multiply your time uh for being here we are in micah tonight it's that part of the bible where um you know you know you turn one page and you skip a book basically these these books are very very quick we've been going through them uh, fairly quickly Micah will probably be on it for uh, two weeks we were on it last week and we'll probably uh, finish it uh, tonight uh, it's one of those uh, sections in the Bible the minor prophets that uh, have the most powerful impact starting with the book of Hosea, and then going to Joel and Amos and Obadiah and then Jonah and then now Micah the middle of the books And we've been talking about the names of these minor prophets. Hosea means salvation, remember that? And and Joel uh, means uh, Yahweh is Elohim, or or the name of God and the title of God in one uh, name together. And then Micah, you guys remember from last week what Micah means. Who is like the Lord? And and Micah is one of those unique books that just packs a powerful punch this, this powerful prophet coming in with the name of God in his name, saying, our God is unique. There is no one like him. He has always existed from eternity past, and he always will exist. In fact, once we get to chapter 5, we're going to come to one of those familiar verses that you, you know, find in the New Testament. In fact, we read it every single year. You read a verse from Micah literally every single year, and most of the time we don't even know where it comes from. It comes from the book of Micah. We uh, ended last week in Micah chapter 4. We're going to read the first five verses again, and then we'll get into it. Now it will be in the last days, the mountain of the house of Yahweh will be established as the head of the mountains and will be lifted up above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will stream to it. And many nations will come and say, come and, and let us go up to the house or the mountain of My- Yahweh and to the house of the God of Jacob. That he may instruct us from his ways that, that we may walk in his paths. for from Zion will go forth the law And the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples. He will render decisions for mighty distant nations. They will hammer their swords in the plowshares, their spears in the pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. And each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them tremble for the mouth of Yahweh of hosts is spoken though all the peoples walk each in the name of his God as for us. That declaration that we learned about last week. We will walk in the name of Yahweh our God forever. And ever and so, Father, as we approach your word tonight, we ask that you speak with power. That your presence will be felt tonight, Lord. In a section of the Bible that many times we we um, don't open to, let alone hear taught, Lord, it's a privilege to be able to open up these. Um, lesser-known books in the Bible, and just to see the power and the impact of a man by the name of Micah and his generation declaring that he will stand with God, that he will walk with God, that he will preach God, that he will prophesy of who God is. And no matter what other people do, no matter the, the influence of the others or the peer pressure that goes on around him, he is going to stand strong same is true for us 2,700 years later, Lord. Remind us tonight. Help us to see the people in this room. Help us to see those that we, we see in this church. And, and thank God for many other churches in this community, Lord, that, that stand strong on Your Word and are willing to declare we will walk with the Lord our God forever and ever and ever. So, Lord... We thank you so much for being here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week we learned as we started the book of of Micah that there was a guy on the, uh, the throne at this time. And of course, Micah is to the northern kingdom. He's the last of the minor prophets, last of the prophets, actually to the northern kingdom of Israel. And it's kind of confusing at this time because this is a divided kingdom after King Solomon died what happened to the kingdom of israel there was a divided kingdom ten tribes in the north the northern section called israel and that can be confusing when you read uh, the bible in this kind of section in the minor prophets because it talks about israel but it's talking about the northern kingdom of israel and the capital of the northern kingdom of israel and you know this if you've been coming is what samaria that 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 town, remember, that Jesus is going to walk through, where, where the Samaritans are going to come back. In fact, right after Micah preaches his sermons, the northern kingdom is going to reject his prophecies, And Assyria is going to come in, and they're going to scatter the northern tribe. They're going to scatter Israel to all the corners of the known world at that time. And what the Assyrians would do, and we're going to see this, Uh, later on, especially if you were here when we were going through the book of of Amos, they they literally came in, they tortured the people, they would line them up with fish hooks in their mouth, with meat hooks in their mouth, and they would string them along. They they would run over them with these agricultural implements and literally destroy towns and cities. And then what they would do instead of integrating them like the Babylonians are going to do with the southern kingdom of Judah, they, they scattered them. They, they made them intermarry. They, they made them a non-people. And so when they come back, they come back as uh, not fully Jewish or, or half-breed or Samaritan. And so when ba- Babylon comes into the southern kingdom of Judah, capital of Jerusalem, as we're going to find out later on in this book, we see they actually integrate them. They, they keep them as a people, Ezekiel and Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they keep them as a people group. And when they come back during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they come back as a whole people, as Jews, as people from Jerusalem. Micah chapter 4 talks about what's going to happen after, though. What is this talking about? What what, what does it mean to take these implements of war and turn them into implements of peace or agriculture? In fact, we see it there in verse 3, and he will judge between many peoples and will render decisions for mighty distant nations and they will hammer their swords into what? Yeah, something that was used for destruction is now going to be used for life. Something that was used to, to kill people is now going to be used to feed people. Isn't that amazing? That This is only, uh, by the way, that God can do. That last phrase sums it up. And never again will they learn war. We, we, we see war all around us all the time. It's, it literally permeates the news. We see it all the time, unfortunately. And of course, if you were here when we were going through the book of Ezekiel, what's called the millennial kingdom, this speaks to that time period when, when Jesus Christ will reign for a thousand years on the earth. And, and for the first time in the history of the world, there'll be peace, total peace. But we also learned at the beginning of Micah that something had happened to the temple. Remember the king at this time, King Ahaz at this time had done something to the doors of the temple. What had he done to the doors of the temple? He closed them. He locked them. And then we ended it last week with what his son does. His son, King Hezekiah comes on the throne and and in Second Chronicles chapter 29, and I'll just read the, the the third verse there. Second Chronicles chapter 29 verse one. You can listen to last week's for the whole uh, explanation. But what he does is absolutely amazing. And revival comes, but not to the northern kingdom of Israel, not not to Samaria, and not not to the northern kingdom, Ephraim, and all those tribes in the north. Oh, it only comes to the southern kingdom. Revival come. In 2 Chronicles 29, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, In the first year of his reign, in the first month, the very first thing that Hezekiah does, reversing what his dad had done, he opened the doors of the house of Yahweh and repaired them. What? Wow. not that amazing? and revival takes place. By the, by the way, if you read the rest of that, that story uh, from chapter 29 all the way to chapter 23 of Second Chronicles 33, excuse me, uh, he invites the northern kingdom down. He invites those that have rejected uh, Micah and Isaiah. He, he invited them down to come and celebrate the Passover, to come and down and celebrate the Lord, to worship the Lord again, which hadn't happened since all the way back to the time of King Rehoboam, the son of King Solomon. And and now for the first time, all these tribes, they're coming down and and not all of them come, but but many of them do. And they finally get to worship the Lord again as a unified, complete nation. All 12 of the tribes together worshiping the Lord. It's It's a beautiful a uh, story. It continues on there in Micah chapter 4, verse 6. And that day declares Yahweh, I will assemble the lame and gather the banished, even those upon whom I have brought calamity. And I will make the lame a remnant and the outcasts a mighty nation. And, and Yahweh will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. And as for you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come, even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. I don't know how many of you felt like outcasts, maybe in junior high or high school or elementary school or college or even now. But who has his eye on you? Who has his eye on you? Isn't it amazing? God sees the humble. In fact, this is the definition of who God is and who he reaches out to. Who is like our God? Every time Micah is saying this phrase, and we're going to see the phrase over and over and over again throughout the book of Micah, who is like the Lord? There is no one like him. He doesn't look for the strong. Who is he looking for? A week those that are the outcast that those that are you know on the outskirts those that are as it says here the lame we've been going through the the LSB the the legacy standard uh bible which is like the newer version of the new american standard uh bible and and just for the minor prophets it's just for a certain part of the scripture and the reason why we're doing it cuz the name of Yahweh is spelled out in every time we see the Yahweh in the Hebrew it's actually put into the English for us to see it and the reason why we're doing that in the minor prophets is because you see it so many times the the, the name of God and the name of God is powerful we we, we all know that when, when we speak the name of God there's power in the name of God but it also speaks to something else and and that's what Micah really brings out in his book that not not only the power of the name but the intimacy of the name because when you speak someone's name there is familiarity with that there is intimacy with the name verse 9 it continues on now why do you make a loud shout is there no king among you or or has your counselor perished That writhing has taken hold of you like a woman in childbirth. Writhe and labor to give birth daughter of Zion like a woman in childbirth. For now you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. There you will be delivered. There Yahweh will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. But now many nations have been assembled against you who say, let her be polluted. And let our eyes behold Zion in triumph. You see, Micah is predicting what's going to happen. In fact, Babylon isn't even a real nation at this time. they're a a, a sub nation of the the Assyrians at this time. That they're, they're a conquered people at this time. Remember when we were in the book of Jonah, uh, the the city of Nineveh that place of 120,000 people, Uh, it's going to later become the capital of Babylon, but at this time it's a a subjugated city of the Assyrians. They're not even a world power at the time when Micah is predicting that they will come and destroy or take captive uh, the southern kingdom. But verse 12 tells us this fact, and I love this. Can God know everything? And does God know everything? Is he omniscient? It's one of those uh, attributes of God that are very difficult for us to truly understand. That that God can know everything. In fact, the Bible says he he knows our, our thoughts before we even think them. He knows the the every single one of the the count of our hairs he, he, he puts our, our tears in a bottle he he knows our thoughts and the intents of our thoughts even he, he is transcendent he is high and lifted up and yet at the same time he is still intimate with us Despite the fact that he knows all your thoughts, he still loves you. Wow. Would anyone else ever do that? I guarantee you, no. If they truly knew your thoughts before you thought them, if they truly knew your intents before you thought them, would they actually? Would people actually want to be with you? But God does. In fact, that's what it says in verse 12. But they do not know the thoughts of Yahweh. Does anyone know the thoughts of God? We can't know. But the amazing thing is, he gives us his word. Has he given us the intimacy to know him? The desire to know him. They do not understand his counsel, for he has gathered them like the sheaves to the threshing floor. God is truly transcendent. He is high and lifted up. Who is like our God? No one. No one. He's the only one that has never been created. Everything else has been created. All those idols, all those things that we put before God have all been created by someone else or something else. God is the only one who has never been created. And this is so important to understand because when we get to chapter five, you're gonna see it very, very clearly. Because people came up to me last week, well, well, since God is is not created, uh, how can Jesus be born? We'll see, wait, just wait, just a little bit. You're gonna find out the answer, okay? And Micah brings it out. He describes it very very clearly in Isaiah chapter 55 verse, verse 9 it says for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways that infinite distance between us and, and the rest of the universe that you know to us at least is immeasurable that 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 distance between us and even the the closest star the 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 closest you know um uh, you know body or galaxy to us God is so much and so much higher. He is transcendent. He is unique. He says it there at the last phrase of Isaiah 55, verse 9, and my thought than your thought. God's thoughts are always good all the time. It's hard for us to truly understand that because we sin we fall but god has never fallen god never will fall god will never think an evil thought he can't by definition he is god verse 13 the last of the verses here in micah chapter 4 it says arise and thresh daughter of zion speaking of jerusalem for your horn I will make iron, your hooves I will make bronze, that you may pulverize many peoples, that you may devote to Yahweh their greedy gain upon unto destruction, and the wealth to the Lord of all the earth. At that time they will be trampled down like mire of the street. Who's coming to rest? Who's coming to save? Who's coming with power? Who's coming to bring justice? It's God. The amazing thing he does, he does it with his name. He, he does it by who he is. Yahweh is coming to save his people. Micah chapter 5, it continues on. And this is one of those verses that, like I said earlier, is, is you know, only normally read once a year. And, and you'll, you'll see it right away. It's the Christmas story. It's that beautiful picture in Matthew when, when the, the wise men came to uh, Jerusalem, when they came to the king, and they, they asked, we, we, we saw his star in the sky. Where, where is he? They knew where he would be. The wise men. And the people that knew the scriptures. In fact in Micah chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 it says. Now muster yourselves in troops. Daughters of troops. They have laid siege against you. With a rod they will strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Speaking of what's going to happen to Jesus. When he is tried. Right before he is crucified. But as for you. Bethlehem. Ephrathah. too little to be among the clans of judah from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in israel his going forth are from everlasting from the ancient of day there's two things that you have to understand there he's going to be born and yet he's always existed He's going to have a birth city, and yet he's always existed. He's going to have a place where he's going to be born, and we know that place in Bethlehem, a manger, a babe in a manger, and yet he is the ancient of days. How can I fathom that? No human being can truly fathom that. But yet at the same time, it's true, one verse describes it amazing. The, the transcendency of God and who he is, and yet his intimacy coming to the earth as a human babe, Fully God, and yet fully man as well. The, the, this is the description, and, and I, I love those of you that, you know, you come and you're, you're, you're asking all these questions, you think outside the box, and I love that. I love it, you know, because I don't always do that. And, and you come up to me and you ask, you know, well, well, Jesus was born, then, you know, how, how can he be, a, you know, eternal at the same time? How could he have existed for all of time? When did you come into existence? There's an easy, there's an easy illustration. It doesn't fully describe it, but, but there's an easy illustration. When did you come into existence? Exactly. Thank you, Dino. It conception. But most times in our society, unfortunately, when do we come into existence? What most people think, when you are born, that, that's nine months later. But yet you already existed for nine months, right? You, you existed at creation. You were, you were a human being at conception but you were born nine months later. Same thing with Jesus, except for even on a grander scale. When did Jesus exist? For eternity past. Always has, always will, is now. The, the, as we read in chapter 5, verse 2, he is the one that goes forth from everlasting the Ancient of Days, or the Ancient One. He has always existed. He did not come into existence when he was born. He had already existed, but now he's born as a human being. Philippians talks about this, by the way. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although existing in the form of God, he always existed as God, okay? Always has been, always will be. He was God when he was here on earth, okay? In the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave by being made in the likeness of man was he born at a specific place in a specific time yes and micah talks about that micah's the one of those amazing verses that combines who God is in his deity and in his humanity in one verse he had a birthplace and a birth date and yet he always existed before he was born he always existed before he was born it continues on there in Philippians chapter 2 and we'll read all the way up to verse 11 here Philippians chapter 2 it dis- continues to describe this being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross can God die God can not die that, that's why God had to come in human flesh. So that he could what? Die for us. For, for us to live as a human being, a perfect sacrifice for us. This is why he came to the earth. It continues on there. Therefore, God also highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name, which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, and that's very important to understand, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, God the Father and God the Son. Very important to understand. God. Existing forever. Yet coming to the earth for us. Verse 11 ends it, and that every knee or every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the New Testament. Again, the, the, the name of God to the glory of God uh, the Father. If you read the book of Revelation, who sits on the throne? Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of of the world again speaking to his eternality who is like the lord who is like the lord no one he's the only one that has never been created everything else has been created the angels were created you read the book of hebrews i love the book of hebrews Everything else has been created. The angels have been created. Heaven itself has been created. The earth, the universe, everything has been created except for God. God has always existed and always will exist. So this this amazing verse, this amazing uh, verse from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that we read every single year speaks to who he is. It's it's not just a, a story that we read to our kids. It's more than that. It speaks of his deity and his humanity at the same exact time. A, a birth place and yet always existing. A birth time and yet always existing. Continues on there in Micah chapter 5, verse 3. It continues to uh, describe this and, and you'll see it in amazing terms here. Uh, Therefore, he will give them up Until the time when she who is in birth or childbirth has born a child, and then the remainder of his brothers will return to the sons of Israel. And he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God. And and they will remain because of that time. He will be great to the ends of the earth. And this one will be, what's that word say? P. The prince of peace. He comes the first time with what? Peace. The second time he comes, he comes with power. Authority, sword coming out of his mouth. Riding a horse ready to trample down his enemy. Matthew chapter two, verses one through twelve. We're not going to read the whole thing. You 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 hear this every single year, you can read it for yourselves. But in, in Matthew chapter two, the the wise men come now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the the king, saying uh, or, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, oh, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And they, they gathered together all the chief priests and the scribes and the people. He was inquiring of them where the Christ was to be born. this This verse in Micah is pivotal not not only to the history of of the Jewish nation not only going all the way back to David himself Bethlehem the house of bread the place where David himself was born where 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 Ruth and Boaz lived going all the way back to the very first amazing king in Jerusalem that that united all the tribes but also the prediction that he, from him would come the Messiah, or the one who would be the anointed one, the one who would be God on earth. And people knew this at the time, by the way. People knew Micah at this time. In fact, in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 2, it says, And they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet.'" doesn't say the name of the prophet, by the way, but you know where it's at now, okay? So every single Christmas, you're going to know where this verse comes from, okay? comes from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, okay? You know it now. You know it, okay? Uh, To you, O Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a leader who will shepherd my people Israel speaking in that verse, a definite birth place where where the infinite God would come to earth for a certain period of time, stepping out of time into time for us. Now becoming a human being for us. But there's two things I want you to see in this verse, okay? Not not just the birthplace, okay? Not not just that he's transcendent and intimate. But there's two other titles that are given to him. In the last two phrases, we see the word leader, and we see the word shepherd. the the power, the authority of a leader, and the intimacy of a shepherd. the the comfort of a shepherd, the one who would Come alongside his people and care for them. And we talked about this uh, last week. And if you want to find out more, you can uh, listen to that uh, last week. You see, Jesus existed forever, but was born of the Virgin Mary. It's hard for us to truly understand that. But Micah talks about it. The transcendent one becomes intimate and human with us. So that he could save us. So that he'd come to earth and be with us. To be like us. To provide a way for us. To be the life and the truth and the way for us. By the way, I love those songs that Isaac choked. There was one song in there, you know, um, He came from heaven to earth to show us the way. I remember singing that way back in 1989. First time I. I was, you know, actually I graduated high school. I was in, in college. I was looking for a church and, and I found this church, you know, Cal Poly Pomona. And, and it was 1989. I walk into this place and they're singing that song. It was amazing. It takes me all the way back. You know, I don't know how many years ago, but you can figure that, you know. It was amazing. Loved it. And it, it just brings back all those amazing uh, memories. And then he's our way maker too, right? He, he's the one that makes a way for us he he is the way the truth and the the life came to the earth to be our way continues on there in chapter 5 of of micah when the assyrian enters our land when he treads on our citadels then uh, we will rise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men this talks of the time period to to the the length of time period the number of the kings that'll be left the number of princes that will be left before the nation is conquered they will shepherd the land uh, the land of assyria with the sword the land of nimrod at its entrances he will deliver us from the assyrian when he enters our land and when he treads within our borders by the way this happens during the time of king hezekiah you can read it again in, in second chronicles chapters 29 to 33 there's an amazing story in there. Not only does King Hezekiah open the doors of the temple again, but he prays to God and asks him to deliver from this humongous, horrendous uh, army that's on their doorsteps. The Assyrian empire literally comes with hundreds of thousands of troops. And God sends one angel, one, ang- that's all it takes, one angel. And they all die. They're all killed. amazing you know read it uh, second chronicles chapter 29 to to 33 predicted by uh micah by the way predicted the micah what micah says verse 7 then it continues on there and then the remnant of jacob will be among many peoples like dew from yahweh like showers on vegetation which do not hope for men or wait for the sons of men then the remnant of jacob Will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which if he passes through, tramples down and tears, and there is none to deliver. Your hand will be raised up against your adversaries, and all your enemies will be cut off. Is God truly powerful? Is God truly powerful? Omnipotent. Yes, he is. And it will be in that day, declares Yahweh, that I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land and pull down your fortresses. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand. And you will have Susain no more. And I will cut off your graven images and your sacred pillars from be among you, so that you will no longer worship the work of your hands. You see the word, you, your, over, and literally every single line. And what is God doing, by the way? He's taking away their horses. He's taking away their chariots. He's taking away their fortresses. He's taking away all their man-made gods. Why is he doing that? You know it. You probably, I mean, this is just as relevant as when it was written 2,700 years ago. Why does God remove all those things from our lives? They're not good for us, but we have to rely upon Yahweh. We have to rely upon God. Because when he takes all those things away, who's the only one that we have left? God. When you're in the pits, what's the only place you can look? You look down, there's mud. You look around, there's you know, walls. When you look up, there's God. I love this, by the way. Verse 10, And it will be in that day, declares Yahweh, that I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots. He's going to destroy everything. Look in verse 14, though. And I will uproot your Asherim from among you and eradicate your cities, and I will execute vengeance in anger and wrath. You know what the Asherim were? These were the, the female Baals or the female god. These were the fertility gods. These were the ones that Hosea spoke out against. These were the ones that they would literally you know, commit adultery with. And, and the equation here was idolatry is equal to adultery. When, when, I, when I take my eyes off of God, when I'm unfaithful to God, what am I literally doing? I'm committing adultery with God. I'm saying, you're no longer the one that I'm committed to. I want to be committed to this created thing. I want to be committed to, you know, things we hold in our hand or the things that are on our walls or the things that we put before God. All those things that we do instead of worshiping God it's adultery and we we understand adultery we we don't like it if it's done to us right it's a very very horrendous thing we we understand the the horrendous nature of adultery unless we commit it with god but but the minor prophets bring it out the book of hosea the book of micah the book of amos it's it's amazing how it really uh hits home uh to us The last phrase there verse of chapter 5 on the nations which have not uh, listened. Chapter 6, verse 1. Listen now to what Yahweh is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills listen to your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the case of Yahweh and you enduring foundations of the earth because Yahweh has a case against his people. Even with Israel, he will reprove. Remember at the very beginning in chapter 1, we see this courtroom scene. And then this is continuing that courtroom scene. Who is the one that is the prosecuting attorney? God himself. And he's bringing these accusations against his uh, people. The earth is the witness. The, the earth is the witness against uh, God's people, the Israelites. They're, they're, they're crying out The the sins of Israel. Verse 3, My people, what have I done to you, and and how have I wearied you? Answer me, indeed. I I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I I ransomed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses and Aaron and and Miriam. My people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and from Shittim to Gilgal, so that you might know the righteous acts of Yahweh. I, I did everything for you. I, I brought you from slavery to the promised land. And how are you repaying me? You're worshiping golden cows. You're worshiping golden cows. And that, that's exactly what the northern kingdom was doing. They'd put one in Dan. They'd put one in Bethel. Right after King Solomon died, King Jeroboam comes on the throne, there, there's this, uh, this civil war, this, 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 you, know, this, this uh, um, cessation that happens, uh, this rift between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and, and he, he makes these idols in order to draw the hearts of the people away from God. And what is he saying? You're committing adultery with man-made things, with created. Thing you can read about this story, by the way, of uh Balaam. You've probably heard of him before. He's the guy that re- rode the donkey. Remember the donkey? You remember the he's he's riding his donkey and and he keeps hitting the donkey over and over again, and the donkey keeps veering off the path, and and eventually, you know, the donkey talks to him. Remember that? And and, and he he didn't see the angel that was about ready to kill him. The donkey did. The donkey was smarter than him. That had more sense than him. Remember, and I I love this, and you read about this in Numbers chapter 23 there, Numbers 22 all the way up to to 26 there. It's it's really an amazing story. But every time the Balaam is called to curse the people of Israel, he can't despite the fact that he's be give, given a, literally a, a king's ransom, this, this uh, a huge amount of money to be able to curse the people of Israel. And in Numbers chapter 23, verse 26, it says, But Balaam spoke to Balak, Did I not tell you, saying whatever Yahweh speaks, that, that I must do? In fact, he says this over and over and over again. I, I can't curse these people because God, God has blessed them. And in Numbers chapter 24, verse 13, by the way, some of the best stories in the Bible are in Numbers, okay? It, that, that book that we kind of, you know, uh, we start in Genesis and then Exodus and maybe get through Leviticus and then we get to Numbers and, bleh, you know, it just kind of falls apart, brain fog and all those kind of things. But some of the best stories are in the book of, of Numbers Uh, Numbers chapter 24, though, Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold. A house filled, his house, by the way, a mansion filled with silver and gold. I could not do anything to trespass the command of Yahweh, either good or bad, of my own accord. What Yahweh speaks, that I must speak. Oh, that we would say exactly the same thing. Oh, that we would say exactly the same. This is a you know a a guy that was hired to curse people. He made his 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 living by cursing people, and he can't because God told him not to. Micah chapter six verse six. It continues on with that. With, with what shall I come before Yahweh? And this is one of those amazing sections in the whole Bible. It just literally. Floors me every single time I read it. With what shall I come before Yahweh and bow myself before the God on high? Shall, shall I come before him with burnt offering, with yearling calf? Is Yahweh pleased with thousands of rams and, and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Is there anything that I can sacrifice for my sin? Because you understand what sacrifice does, it's it just temporary. The, that, that lamb that would be killed at the Passover would have to, you know, you'd have to do exactly the same thing a year later. Why? Because we sin again, right? It, it was temporary. It was meant to be temporary. It was meant to point to something permanent, but it was always temporary. Verse 8, and you probably sung this before too, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love loving kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 through 2, it says, Thus says Yahweh, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool of my feet, and where then is a house that you could build for me, and where is a place that I may rest? You, can, you, know, you can't build a house for God. Can't, nothing can contain him, right? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares Yahweh but to this one I will look. God searches the whole earth for these kind of people. To him who is humble and contrite of Spirit and who trembles at my word. Exactly saying, by by the way, they they were contemporaries. Isaiah and Micah, they were contemporaries. They, they, They preached at the same time. They prophesied during the same time period. He has shown thee, O man, what is good. It tells you right there to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants. He doesn't want a whole bunch of sacrifice. He doesn't want all, you know, all the, the money or, or all the things. He already has everything. What does he want? And you all know this, your heart. He wants your heart. He wants our attitude. Verse 9, the voice of Yahweh will call to the city. It is a sound of wisdom to fear your name. By the way, Proverbs speaks of this. What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord, right? Exactly what Micah is saying here. Hero tribe, who even has appointed its time? Is there yet a man in the wicked house, along with treasures of wickedness and a short measure which is cursed? Can I purify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? For the rich men of the city are full of violence and her inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their um, mouth. So also I will make you sick, striking you down, desolating you because of your sins. Micah is using this illustration of a deceitful scale. Okay. Now it's kind of hard to do nowadays, but but you know a long time ago when when scales were analog when there was just a little thing that would go back you could actually turn the dial you you remember that and actually change the weight you know that right you you could actually make it so that you know you could weigh five pounds less yeah thank you that's a better way of saying calibration yes yeah yeah but you never calibrate it to you know perfect because you have to you know uh you know figure out your cloth weight you know clothes right you have to subtract that weight of course you know but but nowadays everything is you know digital and accurate you know um or until you go to the doctor's office and then you find out you know oh man that's not what my scale home says right you know what th- that's a that's a deceitful weight that's exactly what it, except for they would do it with their fellow countrymen, they would, they would use these deceitful scales when they would pay for things. They would cheat their countrymen. They, they would, you know, give them less and charge them more. What, what is God saying there? Not only that, but they're becoming rich and they're using violence to do it with their own uh, countrymen, with their own uh, neighbors. God's going to make them desolate because of their sins. Verse 14, you will eat, but you will not be satisfied, and your vileness will be in your midst, and you will try to remove something for safekeeping, but you will not cause anything to escape, and that which you do have escaped, I will give to the sword God's coming with justice and vengeance. You will sow, but you will not reap. You will tread the olive, but will not anoint yourself with oil and the grapes, and you will not drink wine. The opposite of what the New Testament says, by the way. But but the truth is still there. We, we just understand it in terms of blessing. We, we understand if I, whatever I sow, I, I reap, you know, and, and that's in terms of a, a blessing, right? We sung that earlier about prosperity. You know, God, God wants us to prosper, but in what is good, right? In, in what is profitable for spiritual growth, for, for our good. But what happens when we do the opposite? Unfortunately, when we, when we sow evil, what are we going to reap? Evil, destruction. Verse 16: The statues of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab are kept, and in their counsel you walk. Therefore, I will give you up as an object of horror, and your inhabitants as an object of hissing, and you will be rebear the reproach. Of my people and in 722 bc just just within a couple of decades after micah speaks these things israel is going to be conquered by the assyrian empire and all these things are going to come true by the way assyria is going to walk in and you can read about this at the end of of second chronicles there but uh assyria comes in and Scatters the northern ten tribe, those that didn't come down to Judah, those that didn't repent, those that didn't come down and join the Judean. They're scattered, and they're defeated. When they come back, they come back to the same place, Samaria, Samaritan. And by the way, who's the one that Jesus comes to there at the well in a city of Samaria? Yeah, the Samaritan woman. Remember, he reaches out to them again. And he tells them, you know, I, I'm, I'm the, the, the water, the living water. This, this well that was dug by Abraham that you said is, is this, you know, place where you, you worship the Lord. There's one day that's going to take place where, where you're going to worship him, not just in, in spirit, but in spirit and truth. And what does that woman do? She goes back and she tells everyone all those other Samaritans, all those people that the Jews had rejected I found the one who knows me and yet still accepts me. The, the transcendent one that comes down to earth with intimacy and reaches out to the rejected. That's Micah. That's Micah. Who is like our God? Is there anyone like him? No. Not a single one. Next week, we'll pick it up in chapter seven. We got one more. We got the book of Nahum, which is going to come after that. We'll we'll talk about that. That's actually a Jonah part two. Okay. Jonah part two. Okay. Same city, same city as Jonah goes to. Okay. Uh, So, so read ahead. They're really short, but, but please uh, read ahead. You'll love chapter seven. Love chapter 7. It's absolutely amazing. God brings this uh, grace and mercy back to uh, the nation of Israel. So, Father, tonight as we approach you, as we, we thank you for this amazing book. These books in the Bible that so many times we don't actually um, read or maybe, maybe it's hard for us to understand or, or we, we just, you know, no one ever taught it or, wh- or whatever, the excuses that we make. Lord, please forgive us for not reading these sections in the Bible. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're teaching us tonight. And Lord, help us not to forget. Don't let us walk out of this room and, and then, you know, just go on to whatever we have to do the rest of the week. But help us to really meditate upon these things. Your your transcendency, your, who you are in your, your Godhead. and Eternal coming down to time, the eternal one being born for us, these theological concepts that unfortunately you know we meet other people and they they don't agree, but it's your word and we see it even in in one verse and it just literally obliterates any occult uh, or or mis uh misconception or or theology that's not correct. You are God, and yet you are human. You are transcendent, and yet you are intimate. You are infinite, and yet you come to time with us. So, Lord, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for your attributes that are high above ours. You are truly God, and we are not. You are God and nothing else is God. You are the only one that is not created. So Lord, help us to praise you. Help us to worship you. Help us to thank you. Help us to be grateful for what you've done for us. Lord, I thank you so much for each and every single one of these, my friends, my family gathered here, those that are watching online, those that will watch in the future. Lord, I ask you bless them and use us for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being.